Welcome to the second of our series of podcasts focusing on international employment law. I'm Ailey Murray, Senior Counsel in the Employment Team at Trevor Smith, and this month I'm joined by Adam Wyman, a partner in the team. In these podcasts, we're speaking to friends from law firms in a variety of jurisdictions and asking them about the key employment law issues and things to think about when employing staff in their country. For each jurisdiction, we're doing three short podcasts covering the start of employment, the second covering the end of employment, and the final one covering other key aspects of employment in their jurisdictions. And today we're speaking to Duncan, Duncan Inverarity from a Good Body in Ireland. Market leading a Good Body has a top tier employment practice that is the largest in Ireland. Welcome, Duncan. Thanks very much, Ailey and Adam. And so uh, in this podcast, we're looking at the start of employment um, and I'll hand over to Adam to, to kick us off. Thanks, Ailey. And hi, Duncan. Um, Duncan, um, obviously, I think, you know, Ireland's as a jurisdiction is is very close to um, the UK in in many ways. But what are the key things from an Irish employment law perspective uh, when advertising vacancies um, for new hires? Thanks, Adam. Uh, Look, I think it's fair to say in respect of a lot of aspects of employment law, uh, the Irish system and the UK system are similar. We're both common law uh, systems. So, you know, on that basis alone, the way in which we approach issues in the employment field, you know, will be similar. To include when we take people on uh, and when we're hiring and advertising for vacancies and so on. So, like the UK, the issue to or the areas to avoid and to be conscious of are the discrimination issues. And in Ireland, we have nine grounds of discrimination, again, very similar to the UK. The one which will be fundamentally different to the UK is discrimination on the grounds of membership of the traveller community, which is a particular um, uh, area of discrimination law, which has got quite a significant jurisprudence in, in Ireland. Um, and a member of the traveller community, although undefined uh, in circumstances where people assert that they are members of tra- uh, the traveller community, um, they obviously have to prove that they uh, are a member of the travel community in order to be successful in this type of discrimination claim. But it simply comes down to when you know advertising for vacancies uh, for employment in Ireland that you uh, not only avoid, but you don't put discriminatory ads uh, up either on social media or, or in print uh, in order to, uh, to, to avoid our discrimination ground. Um, they are, I wouldn't say common, but discrimination claims insofar as uh, vacancies and hiring are concerned do happen. Uh, and the ground of member, membership of the travel community, there is quite a bit of jurisprudence on that as well. So, so that's the area to avoid. I mean, the more neutral the, the ad, clearly the less likely it's going to fall foul of uh, the discriminatory uh, issues. But look, it really is a matter of common sense. Uh, and the other thing about vacancies and, and employment is just make sure you follow your process. So employers will often have a hiring process. I'm sure that hiring process has been uh, had a ruler put over it. It's fit for purpose. Make sure you follow the process and don't don't divert from the process. And the only other thing to say is with respect to the public sector that they have a very specific uh, appointment pr- uh, process. That must be followed, and if you don't follow that, there's obviously uh, grounds for judicial review or, or, or something similar. 
that's that's interesting that that makes sense that it's kind of broadly aligned and we, we don't have anything similar to the to the travel community point but um, um and so on that basis is that is there anything that employers should avoid asking job candidates in ireland yeah again Ailey, it, it just is common sense you know the, the cases in ireland which are the more interesting in terms of uh job uh interviews and so on are the conversations which happen before the interview and after the interview were not necessarily during the interview, you know, on the way to the lift, when you're seeing someone off, off the premises, uh, you know, how are you going to get, what are you going to do with the kids while, while, you know, you're doing a full-time job? It's not part of the interview, but it just makes, it's just absolute common sense not to ask that there, there are so many no-go areas, which are based on, on the nine principles of discrimination that yeah. I've talked about before. So look, common sense is the simple answer. And I can't imagine it would be any different from the UK. Uh, absolutely, Duncan. And, and certainly when I'm doing manager training, that's always the example I give of the, the when you let your guards down before or after the interview and the the, the personal question that, that comes out then. Um, the, the other thing I suppose that comes up a lot for us in the UK um, in recruitment is background checks, the employer screening, and that's sort of a, an increasing trend. Generally, in the UK, there are certain rules rules that apply for regulated roles, basically, um, uh, that allow you to do heightened check tests. And then for other roles, you're allowed to do a more basic form of, of, sort of criminal record checks and, and background screening. Is it similar in Ireland? Are there any sort of particular um, sort of practices to watch out for? Yeah, similar in Ireland. Like so, so, with the regulated space, there's in fact you're obliged to conduct employment screening. Uh, it's a requirement, and if you don't, then you will fall foul of the regulator. That aside, so if we look beyond the regulated industry, uh, employers are entitled to conduct uh, screening of uh, their employees and background checks to a point. Uh, and I always say to clients. You need to be un, you need to be conscious of what the consequences are from background screening. So, if we take an example of, uh, um, say, medical check as, as a background screening, uh, that is totally fine. You are entitled to ensure that your prospective employee is fit to do the job, but be careful what you wish for. So, if you ask questions which are not relevant to the role. And it comes back. So, for example, an employee uh, is an epileptic, and that doesn't preclude them from doing the job. And you don't offer them a job. You are giving them a potential ground of claim that they were refused uh, the job on the basis of their epilepsy, which clearly wasn't the case. Uh, so just be careful what you wish for. Uh, there are aspects of background checks that you cannot ask. So you mentioned criminal uh, checking. Uh, there are exceptions insofar as some financial uh, roles, but generally speaking, you are not entitled to uh, to criminal background checks. You you cannot make it a precondition of employment that the prospective employee gives their consent to their prospective employer to go and um, uh, do background checks or to obtain their criminal record. It, it, you can't do that. That's that's going to be a breach of uh, data protection uh, obligations that, that the prospective employer would have. So it, often US clients would, would talk to me about background checking and it's reasonably common in the US. 
it's not as extensive in Ireland. That's the same in the UK. Uh, and you've just got to be careful as to why you are, sorry, what background checks you do and why you're doing it. So for example, in the US, drug testing um, is, is I think reasonably common in terms of uh, checking prospective employees, whereas in Ireland, it would not be. Uh, and there are all sorts of issues associated with, with uh, undertaking that type of screening. So yes, you can do background checks, but you've just got to be careful. You've got to do it uh, within the confines of what's reasonable and within obviously uh, GDPR considerations as well. That all makes, that all makes perfect sense. Um, and then another thing that we're often advising clients on is recruiting employees from competitors. Um, does that give rise to, to issues? I assume, I assume it does give rise to some issues potentially. Yeah, it does. Uh, Ireland's a reasonably small market, so uh, there is quite a bit of movement between competitors. And it depends on a couple of things, including the level of employee we're talking about. So the more damage an employee can do because they're more senior, the more likely it's going to be an issue. Uh, it also depends on the contract, clearly. Are there any restrictive covenants uh, which are in an employee's contract? We've had recent jurisprudence, when I talk recent, pre-pandemic <laughs> jurisprudence involving a restrictive covenant where an employee um, of Ryanair was leaving to go to EasyJet and Ryanair sought to assert their rights under the restrictive covenant. Um, the employee came up with some very creative arguments uh, to include the fact that he had been treated badly by Ryanair, that there was no consideration for the restrictive covenant and so on. Ultimately, what the court decided is that it is, restrictive covenants are all, are all fine. They're all well and good. And in fact, a 12 month restrictive covenant was totally fine. But again, applying uh, as well-trodden principles of restrictive covenants, it was too broad and, and they, they didn't uh, hold for Ryanair and, and uh, said the restrictive covenant didn't bind the individual. Uh, so there's all the same principles that you would be applying in the UK uh, in terms of what is going to be a valid restrictive covenant. Uh, so there are issues obviously for consideration. Um, the other thing which has come up recently is if an employer is looking to take an employee from a competitor it's the, the inducement to breach contract tort that you just need to be careful of, um, that you don't induce an employee to breach their existing contract by certain incentives to bring them over. So just to be aware of, but again, I don't think that's particularly different to, to the UK. No, absolutely. Very, very similar to, to the approach that we, that we take in the UK. Um, okay, so... Um, You've uh, you, you've navigated the the job interview, um, avoided the wrong questions on walk back to the lifts or the end of the, the Zoom call in the current world. Maybe um, you've sorted your background screening. You've got comfortable that uh, you're not going to get uh, an injunction for uh, preaching non compete. How was the approach in terms of documenting and sort of making the offer? I think in the UK, increasingly, um, we're seeing, yes, a sort of, you know, a verbal offer just to sort of let someone know, but very quickly, an offer letter normally, I think now with the full employment contract going out um, at, at that point that the offer is made. 
um, in the UK now, you have to give someone uh, their full employment contract by the time they start. Um, and increasingly, I think we're seeing employers doing that at, really at the point of at the point of offer, um, so that employees can can look at the contract. Then is is it similar in Ireland? Any sort of particular points to think about in terms of documenting the the arrangement? Adam, yeah, similar in in Ireland in that the offer will go out uh, and the contract can go out with the offer uh, or shortly thereafter. What is absolutely required uh, as a matter of statute is that certain core terms of employment must be communicated to the employee within the first five days of starting their job. And then the balance of the terms have to be provided within two months of the employee starting work. So that's a reasonably recent development that these core terms have to be provided within five days of starting work. Um, but that that's the requirement, that that's how you would document the, the employment relationship. Uh, and obviously you'll make reference to the various policies and procedures which will apply to the employment as well. So again, I don't think it's particularly different to the UK, but it, the core terms must be provided within five working days. Yeah, and that's, I mean, pretty similar to the UK. I mean, we used to have a rule that certain core terms had to be provided within a month, but now it's by day one of employment. Yeah, and that's what's led to this sort of market change, I think, in terms of getting the contracts out um, sooner rather than sooner rather than later. Perfect. That's great. Thank you, Duncan, um, for that whistle-stop tour through the start of employment. Um, so we'll be back in the next podcast in this set, and we'll be looking at the end of employment.